As always, kids are welcome to stay with us in worship. This morning we will be back in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Before we get into our text this morning, I don't know about you, but have you ever asked a question and the answer is so clear that you're embarrassed you asked it in the first place? It's like one of those things that is coming out of your mouth, you're like, duh, <laughs> like, why did I even ask that? In that situation, right, we usually kind of blush or try to kind of move on as quickly as possible. But do you ever double down? Do you ever like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this around so I don't look so stupid in asking this question? Well, that's what we see in our passage this morning. This, uh, we're going to have a lawyer or a teacher of the law who comes to Jesus with this question. A question that the answer everyone should should know. It's not a you know hidden question, hidden answer somewhere in the Old Testament. It's clear that what God requires of us is to love Him with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, with everything, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We read from Leviticus this morning that to love your neighbor as yourself is is a summary of the law, of, of gleaning laws, of, not, um, of, uh, of what you do in court, of how you deal with someone who owes you money, someone who has worked for you, all these different ways in which we love our neighbor as ourself. And God repeatedly says to love him with our heart, mind, soul, with our strength, everything, with our whole being. And so he asked this question and Jesus makes him answer his own question, which is even worse, right? And so instead of thanking Jesus and being on his way, like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Yes, that was, that was really good. He, in fact, doubles down and asks, who is my neighbor? In his mind, he could see how expansive that could be, right? I mean, who is my neighbor? You know, many of the uh, Jewish leaders at that time would have defined it as any Israelite, right? Any, any Israelite. That's uh, how a lot of the Old Testament was interpreted, even though we read in the Old Testament that, that neighbor is extended to those who are sojourners, those who are not a part of the people of Israel, those who are traveling through and in the land, those who are outsiders. So who is my neighbor? It could be very expansive, and so there must be a more nuanced answer, right? If I'm supposed to do this, how can I do it for everyone? Certainly it must be restricted to Israel, and even further, it must be restricted to those whose character is good and right. I mean, we can't love everyone, can we? Where do we draw the line? There has to be a line somewhere that we draw. What about tyrants? What about blasphemers? Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answers this famous parable. He answers with this famous parable. And 
So we're all on the same page. The, the priest, just so we understand what all of these uh, people that Jesus uses as illustrations, the priest was the one who did the sacrifices in the temple. He was God's representative to the people, and he was held in high esteem by the people of Israel. The Levite wasn't as high-ranking as the priest, but he was a very important position in the temple. It was the Levite's job, Levite's job to make sure that the temple was run well. And then comes the Samaritan. And as many of you know, the Samaritans from a group of people who were despised by the Jews, and the Samaritans despised the Jews equally. They were considered by the Jews to be half-breeds. They were those who intermarried when they were conquered by the Assyrians centuries before and defiled the worship of God by building their own temple on Mount Gerizim. The Jews and the Samaritans said awful things about each other and did awful things to each other. And this is the background for this parable. So let's read Luke 10, 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How, how, do, how do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring, in oil, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this interaction between Jesus and the lawyer and this story that Jesus tells. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, help us to go and do likewise. And what does that mean for each of us? Lord, I pray you give us that insight this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we picked up our series on the Gospel of Luke after about a three-month hiatus. And you remember the series is titled, Certainty in Christ. And we pick back up here in chapter 10 where Jesus sends out the 72 disciples to proclaim the good news of the kingdom and to heal those in need of healing. 
And they come back from this, quote, short-term mission trip, and they are really excited about what they had experienced. They're excited about what they saw and what they did. And Jesus is grateful, too. He rejoices in what they experienced, but he also tells them that this good news that they've proclaimed in word and deed won't always be received as good. And we said that like the disciples, we want to rejoice in the power that we have. We want to be on the mountaintop, so to speak. We want to have the Christian life be just this one big, exciting journey that it's always good, always powerful, always hopeful. And we saw that because Jesus has revealed himself, we rejoice in him, not in us. We rejoice in his message his mission, and his commission. And today we come to one of the most famous stories that Jesus tells, the Good Samaritan. And we often see this parable as how we as Christians are supposed to live, to follow Jesus by loving our neighbors. This, of course, is true. It's a fine and good application of the story that Jesus tells, but does it go deep enough? This morning, I'd like us to really look at a question that the lawyer asked Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This is the most important question that any of us can ask, right? Anyone, anywhere, if there is a life beyond what we currently experience, right? If there is something beyond our current reality, this is the most important question that anyone can ask, what must I do to inherit it? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Many people, like the lawyer, come to the conclusion that it's something we do to inherit eternal life. And the way Jesus answers the question often leads people to believe that it's about what the Samaritan did that leads to eternal life, which is understandable, right? Jesus gives this compelling story, the example of someone who sees someone in need and stops, takes care of them, takes them to an inn, continues to care for them, and then provides all that the innkeeper will need to make sure that this man becomes well. Do this and you shall live. In order to see what this is, this do this that Jesus is getting at, let's look at first the lawyer and then the Samaritan. You see, the lawyer is somewhat confused in his interaction with Jesus, even though his answer is correct. He's correctly answered the question. Right? He's correctly answered the question that Jesus has posed back to him. But because he still thinks that eternal life is earned rather than received in the context of a love relationship with God, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? I've answered the question correctly, Jesus. Now, what must I do? Obviously, you know, what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Obviously, I'm not going to limit that, Jesus. 
So I'm going to ask about the second part, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? The, the context for Luke, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, putting this parable, this story of the Good Samaritan here, is that, remember, last week Jesus has just explained what it is to know the Father, right? No one knows who the Son is except the Father or who the Father is except the Son and anyone who the Son chooses to reveal Him. Right? It is through a relationship with Jesus that we know the Father. It is through Jesus that we, the Father is revealed. It is through Jesus that the will of the Father is known. And so this lawyer is, is confused about what it is that God is asking of us and him. To love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. This question of who is my neighbor is really an attempt to limit, right? To limit one's, who one's neighbor might be. In this ancient culture as today, such limits might, not only might, but did run along ethnic and social lines, along religious lines. And so the lawyer is seeking to limit who he must love. There is way that you can limit how we are to love God, but maybe we can limit who we are to love. And Jesus would know that this lawyer, as a member of the Pharisee party, would exclude some people, sinners who were ignorant of the law from his definition of neighbor. He would exclude Samaritans and any other outsiders, particularly Gentiles, he may have even felt it was pleasing to God to show hatred toward those groups. But at the top of his list of who he should love, certainly it would be priests and Levites. Certainly at the top of his list of who were included in his neighbors would have been priests and Levites. And so Jesus uses those at the top of his list in his story. Right, as we, as we see this, the Jewish teachers would have used neighbor to mean fellow Israelite in a broad sense and then would have easily narrowed it down to be even less broad. And so Jesus begins to engage this lawyer to challenge him in terms of his perception, in terms of his preconceived ideas. And so he puts into this story this priest and this Levite who would have been his definition of those he should show love to as a neighbor. And what's interesting is that, you know, many have speculated, well, maybe the priest didn't want to, you know, defile himself by touching a dead body. And so, you know, he's on his way to the temple. And so he didn't want to stop and defile himself. So then he would be unclean and could not perform uh, his duties at the temple. But what's interesting is Jesus sets this up to even take away that explanation, to, to kind of 
put this lawyer off guard because if you notice in the text, it says that there was a man who was going down to Jerusalem, down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jericho was geographically below Jerusalem, and so he was technically going down to Jericho from Jerusalem when he fell among robbers. And you'll notice that now by chance a priest was also going down. Right? The Levite, Jesus doesn't say if he was going down or going up. He just says the Levite came along. But the priest is going down. He was actually leaving his temple responsibility, his temple leadership. He was actually on his way to Jericho. Maybe that was his home. Maybe he was traveling somewhere else. But he was leaving the temple. He was not on his way to perform his duties at the temple. And so Jesus even takes away this, maybe this lawyer would have said, well, he didn't want to, you know, uh, defile himself. I have to go through ritual cleansing and cleaning before he could, from touching a dead body. He didn't know if the man was dead or not, and so he didn't want to defile himself and not be able to perform the duties that God has called him to do at the temple. But Jesus takes that away. He takes away this opportunity for us to find a loophole, for us to say, wait a minute, you know, this priest was, didn't want to leave the work of the temple unattended. But the rule of mercy would have taken precedence in the life of the priest, particularly if he was not on his way to perform his temple duties. And so Jesus, in walking through this story, is showing the lawyer his heart and the priest and the Levite, those whom he would call his neighbor, those in whom he would say are those that he should treat with neighbor love. Jesus is revealing the heart of the lawyer and the heart of the priest and the Levite. You know, oftentimes we might come to this story and think of ourselves as maybe, you know, either the man lying on the side of the road in need of attention or the Samaritan who comes along and and does what is right and merciful. But I think many of us are like the lawyer. Right? We want to know, wait, where's the limit, Jesus? Like, yeah, I, I, I get that, yeah, I'm, I, I should show love to these people and these, this group. But surely there's got to be a limit. Surely it can't be those people. And there are plenty of those people to fill in the blank with. Jesus is showing the lawyer his heart, and I believe that he is showing us our hearts as well. particularly those of us who, like the lawyer, would rightly say, 
that I am to love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and my neighbor as myself. That is the way that the law, that is the way that Jesus has expounded the law and shown us what it is to be a child of God. And yet, like the lawyer, we often want to justify ourselves to know who it is that we can limit our love, our mercy, our compassion for. The lawyer shows us our heart, a heart that may not quite understand this Jesus may not quite understand this heavenly Father of ours. As I mentioned earlier, it is in this context that Jesus has said, it is no one knows who the Son is except the Father or whom the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Like the lawyer, we often believe that it is what we do that brings love is what we do that allows us to this inheritance. And yet Jesus is showing the lawyer and us a heart that sometimes does still not understand. It is not what we do, but whom has loved us and whom we love. We see the Samaritan next. The Samaritan would have been the exact opposite of the priest and the Levite, a notorious bad guy according to the Jews, a traitor. The hero of the story is the bad guy. Culturally, he's the last person who we would expect to be hailed as an exemplary neighbor. Right? It's like a Muslim on the West Bank coming along a Jewish neighbor in need and carrying him and providing for him. It'd be like a member from Westboro Baptist lying alongside the road and a gay man coming along and caring for him and taking him to where he needs to go. Samaritan is whomever we would think as the worst, as the baddest. Those who would make our skin crawl to be in relationship with. And the Samaritan is the one who understands that getting involved is costly. It is an investment that is very high, and for many it is too high. He performs six actions in all 
He comes up to the man to check on him. He binds his wounds. He anoints him with oil to comfort him. He loads him on his animal, takes him to an inn and cares for him, even paying for his whole stay. In fact, as we look at the amount that the Samaritan leaves the innkeeper, depending on on where you look in the ancient world to see how much this would have provided for it, provides for at least three and a half weeks of in, of staying in the inn, up to possibly two months. This is a large amount of income that this Samaritan leaves the innkeeper to care for this man who he ha- doesn't even know a man that would, is his enemy, a man that would probably have cursed him had they passed on the road just a few minutes earlier. He leaves this and says that he will pay whatever is required when he comes back if this was not enough. He shows sacrificial mercy, giving of himself to the utmost for the sake of the one dying. Right? And this is where we might stop and say, all right, I get it. You know, I'm supposed to be like the Samaritan and and give of myself to show sacrificial mercy. And yes, as I said earlier, there, this is an application of this story that we see the difference between the lawyer and the Samaritan, the one who wants to limit mercy and the one who shows great mercy. We are used to thinking that this is where this story leads us. We are used to thinking of the victim and his rescuer as neighbors. But what we forget is that Jesus is telling a scandalous story here. He deliberately wove into it two representatives of two groups of people whom his hearers knew to be not good neighbors at all, but enemies. Remember, Jesus has set his face to Jerusalem at the end of chapter 9. Remember how last week he said, that is an Important, it's not just a throwaway verse that Luke puts in there. It is an important reminder of what is going to happen throughout the rest of the gospel of Luke. And all that we see from that point on is in relation to that comment. Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. You see, what is often missed as we look through, as we go through this story is that both the man left for dead and the Samaritan and the priest and the Levite need Jesus. They need the one who will save them. Jesus is the better and truer Samaritan the one who gave to the utmost to save those left for dead. You see, that was the prominent application of this story throughout church history. For many, many centuries, the Samaritan was seen as Jesus, as the one who was 
hated, as the one who was not accepted by his brothers and sisters, the one who was despised and rejected, who comes along to the one dying, the one whom would have cursed him on the road before and gives to the utmost to save this man's life. But Jesus is also the one who transforms life, who transforms the life of an evil Samaritan to live in light of the eternal life that Jesus offers. The lawyer was right in one thing. Eternal life is something to be inherited. What must I do to inherit eternal life, he asks. You don't do anything to receive an inheritance. It is yours by relationship. And to receive that inheritance, you have to be an heir. No amount of doing will make you into one. Keeping the law is a way of life, but it is not the way to life. It is only by God's grace we have become the right sort of people, his people, by the new birth that we receive eternal life and begin to do the right sort of things. When Jesus says, do this and you will live, he is saying that relationship to God is what gives life. The chief end of human of humanity, of man, is to love God and to enjoy him forever, to love him wholly with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We are designed, created to love, but to love well, we must love the right person. And here's the definition of life that brings life. Right, the definition of life that brings life. It is the life that Jesus offers us. The one who is left for dead, an enemy who he brings to life and gives life by his death. And the product of this love the outflowing of this love that we have received from God in Christ Jesus regards others made in his image as those who God has placed next to us as our neighbors. Right, the New Testament over and over and over again connects our relationship with God. The one who has received love and returns love back to God as our response to loving others. This is the life of the believer. This is the life of the body of Christ, the church. As those who have been saved by Jesus, those who were left for dead, those who have been saved by the good and better and truer Samaritan, 
the one we despised, yet he gave of himself to the very end. And we are then called to that same life of sacrificial mercy. Because of the mercy we have first received, we are now called to be the good Samaritan as Jesus was the better Samaritan for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you. Lord, we thank you that you indeed are the one who came along at just the right time. to save us from Satan's sin and death, to bind up our wounds, to wash us clean by the blood of your sacrifice, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to raise us to new life, Lord God, as we have received your sacrificial mercy, may those, the church of Jesus, return that sacrificial mercy in all that we do, loving our neighbor as ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.